This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Tuesday, October 31st, 2023 edition. Happy Halloween to everyone out there. I'm Justin Klein, and my job today is not to scare you, but to inform you as much as I possibly can about the current market conditions, give you some actionable material so that you can take that back to your personal situation and make good decisions. That's what this is all about. It's not about that next stock tip. It's really about having a framework, having the right mindset so that you can make good decisions with your money each and every day. So it's all about habits and education, and that's what we're here to help you develop. Now I'm going to talk about the market today, as well as run down our show topics, but right after we answer this first caller question. Hey, Stephen, Justin. I'm curious about O, the Realty Investment Group. They've been continually dropping for the last six weeks, it seems like. I keep having to change the set point on my app that I'm watching it because it just seems to drop another dollar every week. And today it, it made a big hard crash. Just curious what you guys think about that stock. What would be a good buy-in price? Or if it's something to stay away from, is it too volatile right now with the way the economy is? Just curious. Thanks a lot. Bye. All right. Looking at Realty Income, this is the largest retail REIT that's out there. And you're correct. It's down pretty markedly from its multi-year high, which was back, let's see, pre-COVID, it was trading around $80 per share. It crashed all the way down to about $37 per share. And then middle of last year, it hit about $75 per share before really rates took down the whole REIT sector for the most part. And this is now down to $47 per share. So remember, this is a bond proxy. And that means if bonds bottom around here, which I do think we're finally at a level where at least rates are closer where they should be. And therefore, there's more room for them to drop if we enter a recession next year, which looks increasingly likely. And that would give some tailwinds to this this asset, this asset class. And Realty would be a big benefactor of that. So if you're looking for a duration trade, this is not a bad one. Because once again, it's the largest retail REIT. We've talked about how there hasn't been a lot of retail development over the past decade plus because everyone's afraid online shopping and all that. But what you can see as of uh, really the last five, six years is that the, the need for retail locations continues to be robust and demand has kind of met supply, right? Demand was falling, but supply of the good locations was also falling. And so 
you've finally seen uh, this rebalancing of the market. And so I actually think the retail REITs are a decent place to be, much better than office, for example, where there's a lot of overbuilding. Even multifamily, I think that's uh, going to enter a phase where there's been too much building in that space as well over the next couple of years as those uh, projects come online. So I don't hate the actual area that it's in. They own 13,100 properties across 49 states and Puerto Rico, leased to 250 different tenants from 47 different industries. Think about that. So that talk about diversity. This is the model of diversity within the retail space. They have industrial properties, gaming, office, manufacturing, and distribution properties. Now, what you can say is, hey, there's some office in there, uh, and there's some risk. And, and you know, the reason it's down, once again, is it's a bond proxy, but also they have some debt on their balance sheet, about $20 billion in net debt. That's not small. It's not a small amount. But if you look at their free cash flow, it remains near an all-time high. And typically, during times of inflation, tenants or, or landlords can raise their rent because sales within uh, the business community are just generally higher because of higher prices, and that can benefit for them. Benefit them. So, what I will say is, for the first time in a while, I actually would give realty income a modest thumbs up, at least for the medium term, because I do think rates are peaking around these levels. Now, do we? Go a little bit higher than five on the 10-year. Sure, I think that's certainly possible. But it's clear the Fed is – we're in late cycle. The Fed is clearly near the end of this uh, rate hiking cycle, if not at the end. Um, And you're going to get a flight to safety if there is some level of recession next year, right? So – I like the name. I like the slice of the REIT sector, and but you have to be willing to take on that duration risk, which right now I think is good, but long term may not be something you want to hold for, you know, multi multi uh, multi years, maybe two three years at most. All right, let's go to Richard in Walnut Creek. He's talking about a bear market. Uh, hi, Justin. Uh, thanks sure. for taking my call. I was sure. wondering. It's a simple question, hopefully. Uh, I was wondering if the bear market is over yet or not. I don't hear about what, it in the news and my definition market? that I know of it, that we were in since uh, early 2022. Well, um, once you once you go that was a bear market, right? It was over 20% correction in the S&P. Um and but then we rally 20%, more than 20% from there and then that enters what we call a bull market, right? Now a lot of these are these terms are nebulous. It's it, it, it why is that to be 20%? Why isn't it 18%? Why isn't it 15%? Why isn't it 25%? You know, that's just kind of the the industry vernacular. Uh, So that bear market was over. We are now in a bull market, and we've had a 10% correction within the recent bull market. So that's that's where we are today. Now, can this 10% correction turn into a bear market going into next year, potentially recession? Sure, absolutely possible. But you could also, I could easily see with the way with the way sentiment is right now, positioning, and a Fed that may turn dovish soon, that could spark a, a short covering rally, uh, people piling into to, to, to equities once again, and maybe hitting new highs early next year. I think that's certainly possible as well. Um, So that's kind of where we're at. We're not in a bear market. We're in the midst of a correction within a bull market, at least a a, a modest bull market, not not a raging one, that's for sure. Got it. So so the bear market ends when the S&P 500 goes back up 20%. It doesn't have to go back to where it was before the bear market. Exactly. Yep. 
Yep. Technically, that's that's how it works. Yeah. And I urge people not to get too caught up in this because, once again, it's why is 10% a correction? And why is, you know, it's really about, to me, a reset in valuations or a reset in sentiment. Now, last year was a reset in valuations, especially in the growth side of the market, the tech side of the market. That was the big correction reset in valuations and obviously sentiment. Sentiment was pretty bad late last year. Now you've had gone the other way, right? You overshoot the other way. And in the middle of summer, there was drastically overvaluations once again within the growth side of the market. And that's starting to correct itself once again. You're seeing sentiment get to similar levels that you saw last fall right now, and which often marks near-term bottoms. And then you see a catalyst for short covering rallies, reallocation equities, et cetera. And I think we're, we're decently set up for something like that. But that's the way I think about these things because 10%, 20%, 15%, why, what makes that so special? It's just the industry vernacular and uh, it's really more about how sentiment can reset or get offsides the other way, right? Get too bullish, too optimistic, and that's where you want to rebalance and trim positions. Although that can be hard, right? Market's down, people get panicky, people freak out, people see losses in the portfolio and red on the screen and that creates emotion. But as we say many times on the show is you want to avoid the emotion and focus on uh, not getting caught up with the the crowd. Uh, and oftentimes that's how you get burned. All right. Now, as we go to a break, let me remind you to check out our new Invest Talk Classroom series it's streaming now for free on our YouTube channel. The topic for episode 12 is titled Investment Strategies for Short Selling Stocks. There are opportunities in every market, and sometimes it's not what you should buy, but instead what you should sell. Now, short selling is a common practice in the institutional world, but most people overlook the selling short strategy. So, learn more about the investment strategies for short selling stocks. Just search the Invest Talk Classroom on YouTube. And now the phone lines are open, waiting for your questions at 888 Chart. Get ready for the next Invest Talk Wealth Webinar Profit Amidst Chaos Strategic Investing in a Recession. The Wealth Webinar will be presented online and free of charge, but you have to register in advance to reserve your spot. Which sectors tend to soar and which plummet during economic downturns? With the right strategies, you can safeguard your investments and also seize unique opportunities. So join Invest Talk hosts Justin Klein and Luke Guerrero of KPP Financial as they take you through the maze of mysteries involved with investing in times of recession. Tell your friends about the next Invest Talk Wealth Webinar. It's happening live, online, and free Thursday, November 9th from 1 to 2 p.m. Pacific Time. Go to investtalk.com and register now. One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 
99 chart. All right, now we have a lot of ground to cover over the next 45 minutes, so this is what I have planned. Now, my focus point looks in the story behind this headline, a personal finance and investing guide for all ages, and everyone's situation is different. We talk about that on the show, and that's why we talk about principles here, so that you can avoid pitfalls and examine your particular scenario based on where you start today and what your goals are. So we're going to talk about personal finance and investing including personal finance for beginners and investing for retirement. We also want to touch on an economic data point coming out of China and what that says about the second largest economy in the world. Also, are strip malls back in vogue? Not just your neighborhood grocery store, right, the uh, retail location, and its surrounding uh, stores, but just a straight up strip mall, right? That typically will have like a dry cleaner and a few restaurants in it and maybe a medical clinic, things like that, not anchored by a major tenant. Those are actually doing very well, surprisingly. I'm going to talk about why that is. And then lastly, there's now more millionaires than ever. A lot of, mil- lot of mini millionaires. So we're going to talk about where Wealth is growing the fastest. All right. So we're going to look at that. We also have some voice bank questions. One is in regards to options trading as well as Kinsale Capital Group, KNSL. And we have an iTunes view question that we'll get to. And then the second part of my perspective, was, which looks at the cryptocurrency space, touch on tax status, as well as the rally that fraud is possible and has already occurred. So we're going to dig into that coming up to halfway point. So let's talk about the market performance today. Overall, you had a modestly positive day. Small caps did the best, up about 1%. Large caps up 0.68%. Fairly balanced between growth and value. So no real change on that front today. Your biggest losers, JetBlue, down 10%. Uh, Zoom info, which don't don't be consumed, uh, don't be confused with Zoom, your video conferencing software. But Zoom info was at IPO a year or two ago. They're always losing money, and they're now down a ton. Um, so that one's uh, struggling. VF Corp, they I believe they hired a new head of Vans. They're cutting their dividend, uh, and that was one of those. Ones where you want to, I got a lot of calls on it, right? Chasing the dividend. And it was pretty clear based on their debt situation and the trajectory of their business that they were going to cut that dividend eventually. And now we're finally there. Spirit Airlines and JetBlue also down 10, 12%. Who are the big gainers? Pinterest up 19% today. What else? Yeah, that's about it for the major movers. The rest were kind of small. And tomorrow you have Fed Day. So uh, interesting today, the dollar was up pretty strong going into the Fed meeting. And the big question is, will the Fed signal a pause for the foreseeable future? And what might that mean for markets? So big day tomorrow. Today was just kind of a prep for that. And we'll see what we get on the other side. All right, we're going to break. Please remember that you can call anytime. Leave your questions on the Investlock Voice Bank. If you're listening via our, via our live stream on our website or on AM 1220 radio in the Silicon Valley area, you can call now at 888-99-CHART.
Justin Klein is here and ready to take your calls live. Invest Talk, 888 99Chart. Now, my focus point looks into the story set up by this headline A Personal Finance and Investing Guide for All Ages. And I love this because it's very important to understand your portfolio, your risk in context to where you are in life. What's right for one person may not be right for the other, even if you are in the same age bracket, because one might retire earlier, one might have different risk tolerance levels, and one might have more money today and uh, different spending habits planned for retirement and everywhere in between. Okay, so it's really about investment priorities and how they evolve and how your financials evolve. Now, when you first start earning money, a good rule of thumb is to invest consistently. That's the first step. It's creating that habit of consistently putting money away as early as possible. And really, the investment should be in your education, your skills, so that you can earn more money as time goes on, so that you can save more money and thus invest more money. So a lot of people, especially in their 20s, it's more interesting to go and try to make it rich in the stock market. Maybe that's using options. Maybe that's buying the latest hot stock, whatever it is. But frankly, that's not how you get ahead. The first step, a lot of people skip it, is that consistent saving mechanism. That's why 401ks are basically the main tool most people use to save for retirement because it's automatic savings. So you have to kickstart that. And you should probably choose a Roth, Roth IRA or Roth 401k, especially because you're young and you're probably not making that much money. And so when it comes to your portfolio and your strategy, you don't know a lot. So you should probably keep it simple. Okay. Now, when you start hitting your middle years, your earnings are probably pretty good, right? Think of ages maybe thirty, mid-30s into uh, late 40s. This is kind of the, the core of your earnings year, earning years. Obviously, you can earn a good amount before that, good amount after. But for most people, this is kind of where things kind of accelerate. You figure out what you're good at. You know how to get paid for it well. And you build your career, either your business or within another corporation. Now, the challenge with that, though, is that you have to juggle multiple things. You might have kids. You might have aging parents. You have to save for college for those kids. You need time out to maybe take care of the parents, spend some time with them. So it's all pretty difficult. But you have some runway for retirement, so you still can take a decent amount of risk. And you probably should still keep developing those skills because you still have a long period where those extra work skills, educational skills, can pay off. Now, the biggest battle for most people in that age bracket, combating lifestyle creep, right? You're making pretty good money. You have friends that want to go do fun things. They're probably earning pretty good money. And the classic want to keep up with the Joneses. 
So focus on stepping up that savings amount, and that will help you combat that lifestyle creep because you'll realize you're not you're, you're, you don't really have the capacity uh, if you are wanting to continue to, spe- to save. So you probably should open up additional retirement accounts than just your 401k, right? IRAs, brokerage account, etc. I mean, you should reduce your risk in your portfolio a bit, but still stay relatively aggressive. And that's when you start actually thinking about working with a financial advisor, right? Developing a financial plan, seeing if your retirement or your, your investment allocation fits your goals and the current market environment, okay? Now, pre-retirees, you're still working, but you now have different time horizons for your assets. So it adds complexity. And this can be difficult because you, you, you have a limited number of earning years left and you want to safeguard your assets to ensure you have enough to retire. But you need to do things like start thinking about social security strategy. When do you take it? How much are you going to get? Should you wait till six, full retirement age? Probably. Should you wait till 70? Well, if you have a good number of assets, you probably should as well. Then assess the adequacy of your portfolio once again. Reduce risk a little bit more. When you're adding more positions to your savings, you should probably think of safer securities. And think about withdrawal sequencing. So should you be putting more into traditional IRA, Roth IRA, taxable account? How are you going to withdraw money when you do hit retirement? And you need to create more tax diversity amongst your accounts. And then lastly, when you're in retirement, you have to evaluate the health of your overall plan. Are you... You know, are you maximizing your lifetime sources of income? Not just Social Security, but do you have a pension? Think of your expenses. It's even more important to have a financial plan and understand how to adjust your expenses. And don't rule out working a little bit. Stay flexible with your withdrawal rate. A lot of people say, oh, I want 4%, never think about it, and that's my withdrawal rate. No, you have to be flexible with the times. Make sure you're taking the right amount of risk. Probably not too little, but not too much either. And then start thinking about estate planning. That's just, that's big as well. So that's a pretty broad rundown. Hopefully that gave you all something to take away uh, based on your particular life stage. All right. On the next Invest Talk, we look into the story behind this question. Is the banking sector investable? We'll look at that tomorrow, but give me a call at 888-99-CHART. Get ready for the next Invest Talk Wealth Webinar Profit Amidst Chaos Strategic Investing in a Recession. Set for November 9th, the Wealth Webinar will be presented online and free of charge. Thursday, November 9th, from 1 to 2 p.m. Pacific Time. Go to investtalk.com and register now. Hey guys, this is Larry from Charlotte, North Carolina. I appreciate everything you guys do and just had a question for you. It's about Kinsale Capital, ticker symbol KNSL. It's a position I've had for a long time and I've done really well. They had mixed earnings last week, but the stock got kind of crushed at the end of the week. I'm just wondering, is this a time where I should take profits and put it back on my watch list for a few quarters? 
or is this a time to buy more and ride it out? Uh, appreciate any insights you guys have. Again, thank you so much for everything you do. Bye. All right. So this is Kinsale Capital Group. This is a PNC property and casualty insurer covering covering 50 states and Washington, D.C. And this has been on a consistent growth trajectory. If you look at the chart, it's up and to the right. It's done very well. 2017, it was trading at in the 30s. Now it's at $333 per share. So it is a huge winner. Earnings in 2016 were $1.24. This year, this was supposed to be $11.93. And analysts are upgrading earnings expectations for this year and next year of $14.51. But here's my issue. They missed on their sales estimates by, how much was it? $314 million? Sorry. It was $314 million, missed by about $8 million. But the market punished it in a big way. It peaked recently right around $453 per share. Now it's at $333. That is a big, big move. And on volume. And history tells me when you have something this overbought, which it was in the weekly chart, and you have this massive reversal – on volume, it tells me it wants to continue to go lower. Now, I will say there's major support right around 285, 290. So I think there's a ways for this to go. And I look forward to find support there. If it can, then I'd say buy more. But I probably wouldn't buy more until then. Because this was clearly priced for perfection. It's a secular grower. Very good business. Simple business. Not an exciting business, but if you look, probably this is one of the best performing names in the markets over the past six, seven years. Good balance sheet, but it is, once again, expensive. Price sales at seven times. That's what worries me here, is when you have this long trajectory of growth and then the market suddenly breaks that trend of expectations, it will re-rate back to reasonable valuations. Is 285, 290 reasonable? I would, I would argue still no. So I wouldn't jump in with two feet there. I would want to see kind of another quarter. Is this a flash in the pan or is this a consistent issue with the business uh, that is emerging? And I, I would have to reassess it then. Uh, but technical support right around 285, 290. Uh, but you know, even valuation-wise, I don't love it at those levels. All right. Now, my perspective today looks again at cryptocurrency. And yesterday, we talked about the origins of cryptocurrency. So today, we're going to talk, touch on the tax status, the reality that fraud is possible, always has occurred. And we're going to dig into the blockchain technology. Now, most cryptocurrencies are designed to gradually decrease, decrease the production of the currency by placing a cap on the total amount of that currency that will ever be in circulation. For example, Bitcoin has a halving cycle. It halves every, what is that, every about four years, roughly. 
It had back in May of 2020. It's supposed to have another halving in April of next year. And the final halving will be in 2140 when the maximum amount of Bitcoin will be at 21 million. So that's the way Bitcoin is, is developed. Now, not all cryptocurrencies have that cap, but many of them do. Now, blockchain, it's all built on blockchain pretty much, which is just an open distributed ledger. Just a, a spreadsheet with cryptography layered on top of it. That's pretty much what it is. But there can be applications for that. And we've seen some modest applications, but obviously not widespread. And Bitcoin remains kind of the, the main one. Right? It's market cap of the total crypto space continues to be dominant. And I think mainly because there's not anyone behind Bitcoin that's making a bunch of promises. It's pretty simple and straightforward. Whereas most other currencies, they try to get complex with it and they overpromise, which is very common in any unregulated industry. That's really what happened here is lack of regulation, lack of oversight brings in the worst actors and the ability for the Sam Bankman friends of the world to come in and spin a great story. Spin that they're some magical genius. When in reality, there's nothing new in this under the sun. As I talked yesterday, cryptocurrency has been around a while. And there's always, people are always finding ways to kind of usurp the current dominant currency standard. Now, will Bitcoin be it? We shall see. It certainly has the best chance right now. But what I've always said is, whatever cryptocurrency we're going to use in the future, it's likely going to not exist today. Right? What we're using 50 years from now could be just simply a digital version of the dollar or some sort of central bank digital currency. Now, from a tax perspective, the IRS rules that Bitcoin is treated as a property for tax purposes, meaning that it is uh, considered co a commodity subject to gains and loss. So when you buy and sell it, then it's treated as such. So you don't get special treatment like you do with income from your dividends, for example. And we know fraud has occurred from Mt. Gox back in 2014 to Sam Bankman-Fried, and there's been many of them. And that's not going to change as long as there's lack of regulation. But mainly it's going to continue to trade on liquidity dynamics. If liquidity is more abundant and governments are monetizing, Debt, for example, creating inflation, money will generally flow there. So cryptocurrency certainly isn't dead, uh, but I think it's going to go through a long doldrum period where the true people that aren't just there to grift and 
defraud people and chase returns, people that actually are trying to build something with a technology that's useful, that will continue. And then one day it'll probably reemerge from the slumbers and have its time in the uh, sun again. I love the quote, which I'll leave this story with, which is, there are no bad assets, just bad prices. Remember that. There are no bad assets, just bad prices. At a certain price, cryptocurrency is a good buy. Probably not today, though. All right, let's grab another caller question at 888-99-CHART. Hello, Steve, Justin, and Luke. This is Art from Tucson. I'm calling in about Tyson Foods, Inc., TSN. Um, I bought this stock a while back thinking I was getting it on sale, and it's down um, 25% since then. So hopefully it's even on a bigger sale now. Um, I'm not sure what to do with it. I'd like your opinion on where you think it's going and if there's any hope for it coming back. It seems like a solid company that's been around a long time, but maybe there's internals issues that I'm not uh, aware of and uh, would love to get your take on it. And we appreciate all you do for us. Thanks. Listen on the podcast. All right. Tyson foods. You're right. It's a name that for years had done very, very well. Consistent earnings. Pre pandemic made $5 and 46 cents. In the peak of the pandemic, actually last year it made $8 and 73 cents, but this year a dollar 22 down 86%. Now, this is the perfect example of why when you're investing, you invest through the windshield, not the rearview mirror. Most people are looking at P ratios and earnings numbers that are backwards looking. So if you're ever buying an individual stock, if you don't have forward-looking earnings estimates from analysts, which analysts are pretty good at forward-looking earnings estimates, they're talking to people within the business, they're talking to industry insiders, it's their entire job, is to try to pinpoint where earnings are going to be. Now, I've always said they typically are more optimistic as time, as further out you go, right? So if you look at analyst estimates for fourth quarter earnings for most businesses next year, the vast majority of those estimates are going to be too high. But that's kind of what the market knows. So it's just because that's the fact doesn't mean that they don't have value here. And obviously... Analysts were correct. Dollar, or they made $0.85 cents in, in the uh, fourth quarter of last year, but they lost $0.04 cents in the first quarter, made $0.15 cents in the second quarter. And obviously, we don't have earnings for this quarter yet, but $1.22 is the ex- expectation. Now, the issue with this is that they are they have a good amount of debt. And they are dealing with, it looks like, protests at their headquarters over child labor rules. So are they employing child labor, potentially? So it looks like they have some issues to deal with. And yeah, it looks like there's some plant closures. Obviously, you have wage pressure. And when your margins are relatively thin and your business is very capital intensive, or sorry, labor intensive, then that hurts operating margins. And operating margins have shrunk from peak pandemic, they made 11, or was that 11% operating margins? Now it's at 2.4. Pre-pandemic, operating margins were 
about 6 or 7%. So the question really is, will there be a meaningful reversion back to that 6 or 7%? And if you dig into this, dig into it and you find out you know, these are near-term issues, long-term they'll be fine, this is probably a good buy. But you have to be comfortable with that. The technicals, I'll give you the technical picture. Technicals are rough. Continues to make a series of lower highs and lower lows. And so I would not be getting too excited until you break that trend. So I'm passing on Tyson Foods. I just don't love that backdrop of higher inflationary costs, higher labor costs, excuse me. All right, let's touch a bit on the second largest economy in the world, China, which I still think longer term has some issues and near term is also having some issues. Their latest PMI report, Purchasing Managers Index, fell to 49.5 in October. That's from 50.2, and it was worse than the lowest expected estimate, which is at 49.9. The non-manufacturing PMI fell to 50.6 from 51.7 in September. So it's not just the construction sector or the service sector. It's also manufacturing, which is the heartbeat of their economy, obviously. So the big question is, Can they recover? We know their demographics are in terminal decline. And you've seen new exports and imports orders shrink for eight consecutive months. Which shows you manufacturers are having trouble attracting buyers from overseas. That's what we're talking about. Friendshoring, reshoring. Companies are not investing in China at nearly the pace that they were before. Foreign direct investment into China is in a near free fall. And Chinese sellers said orders remain low as we get towards Christmas, and they don't expect demand to recover. Now, there's improved domestic demand. That's a positive. But profits are shrinking across the Chinese industrial sector. And gate prices are now contracting sharply. So while there's inflation here still, a lot lower than it was before, there is outright deflation in the manufacturing sector in China. Now, policymakers are doing their best, but without going overboard. They've cut interest rates. They've increased cash cash injections to local governments and more aggressive fiscal stimulus. But overall, the big issue is going to be that global trade and their real estate industry, which counts for a fourth of the country's economic output. China's new home prices fell for a third straight month in September. Traditionally, that is a peak buying season. Property sales and investment are down double digits. So this is a big problem for China, and I don't think it's going away. And that's why I continue to say China is uninvestable. All right, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here each and every weekday. 
and that's to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So get your questions in now at 888 chart This is InvestTalk. For serious investors, it's all about achieving financial freedom. That's why the unbiased guidance offered by Steve and Justin is so valuable. The InvestTalk Anytime listener lines are open now, and Steve and Justin welcome your questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Hi, Duncan from New York. Thank you for all that you do. I have two questions. Hopefully you can answer in time, but I'm looking into stock ticker ASC Ardmore Shipping Corp. My thesis for buying this in the first place was when the Ukraine-Russia war happened that, you know, in terms of inflation and just getting goods together, uh, someone mentioned this on the show and I thought this would actually be a good pick. I've had this for over a year. Right now I'm at a 10% loss and it's coming into uh, the end of the year. So I was trying to do some, whatever you call it, try to save up some cash and tax purposes. So I was thinking about selling it, but wondering if I should sell it into strength if there's a Santa Claus rally. So looking forward to the answer and have a great day. Bye. All right, looking at Ardmore Shipping Corp. You're looking to do some potential tax loss selling. And this is a small cap name, about $550 million market cap. And a little bit of debt, but historically this is a business that does not do very well. And they finance themselves mainly through share issuance. 2013, they had 18 million shares outstanding. Now they have 41 million shares outstanding. And if you look historically at their free cash flow, it almost is negative every year. Now it was slightly positive during the pandemic. And then it went negative again in early 2022. And now it's strongly positive again during since the, the 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 war right and that's what's caused the stock to rally from the mid threes during the before the war now we're at thirteen dollars and twenty nine cents per share five point seven percent dividend and what I see though is business is shrinking once again for the June September December and March quarters call it uh, let's see the Second, th- second, third, fourth quarter of last year and the first quarter of this year, revenues exploded 127% in the second quarter, 202% in the third quarter, 153% in the fourth quarter, and 87% in the first quarter of this year. But second quarter, revenues fell 14%. So now it's still at a high level, $91 million compared to pre-war. It was only at, say, $52 million in the fourth quarter of 2021. So you're still up nicely. And profits are retrenching a little bit, but still $2.80 a share. Now, the question would be, do you want to hold a name that historically has poor profitability and your entire thesis is on the ebbs and flows of the war? Now, I do think the war is going to continue to drag on, unfortunately. And you're going to have periods and news events that drive probably the stock higher. But you're also going to get... Retrenchments in the price of oil, in the flow of oil around the world that are going to be negative for this stock as well. So I don't like the kind of wishy-washy thesis here. And I rather own names that can benefit from that war, but also historically have good profitability. 
that's what I'd rather own. So I would probably take your small loss on this for tax purposes and move to something else that has better longer-term prospects of profitability. All right, lastly, let's get into strip malls. And what's interesting is there's going to be a new IPO. Not a lot of IPOs lately, but there is one. It's going to be called Site Centers, and they own 61 strip malls. And these are not the strip malls that you think of that have a big grocery store. And that's kind of the new fad. Are these strip malls that, once again, just have restaurants and your uh, local dry cleaner and and maybe a small medical clinic, et cetera. And they're doing very, very well. And the main reason is because instead of people dropping their kids off at school and going straight to work, a lot of times they are stopping for a coffee or running some errands before they actually get back home where they're typically working a hybrid work environment. And so there's a lot more foot traffic in these centers. In fact, there's an 18% increase last year in strip mall activity compared to pre-pandemic levels. That's according to Retail Stat, which analyzed 2,500 different centers. So this is a small niche part of the REIT sector that has continued to hold up very, very well. And that's why I would say, when you're looking at REITs, it's very important to understand the level of, uh, the, the, the type of assets that they own. Some are going to do very well in this new world, and some are going to do very poorly. And it's extremely important to do your research and figure out which one it is. In fact, in the third quarter, there was a 17% increase in the average asking rents for these type of retail centers compared to 2019. Pretty interesting. All right, I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve and I thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. We've now achieved over 56.5 million downloads since it all began, and we thank you for your loyalty. Independent thinking, shared success. This is InvestTalk. Good night. InvestTalk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461.